people changed a bit. Being an unpaid servant of the community isn't as popular anymore as it was in the earlier days. So we still have a hard time. And in our district, we lose uh, the uh, amount of people of one fire department uh, every year. Enchanted Sky Media. Media. From the Enchanted Sky Studios in Prescott, Arizona, this is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Code 3 features interviews with leading members of the fire service, discussing firefighting strategies, tactics, and other topics you need to know more about. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again here on Code 3. You are listening to the show for and about firefighters. Let's get started. I got an email a few days ago, and it was full of comments about the show, like a lot of other emails that show up in my inbox, but this one was different. It came from a firefighter in Germany, and he wrote mostly to discuss the Euro helmet debate. Turns out their regulations require these new helmets for interior attacks, and a lot of firefighters there don't like them either. I was interested to read how things are done there, how they're different, and how much is the same as in the U.S. So I decided to ask the guy who wrote me to come on Kutri and talk about it. Ulrich Kellner is a 24-year veteran firefighter. He, like 97% of firefighters in Germany, is a volunteer. His position is something like a battalion chief. He's a deputy platoon leader and he's the head of the hazmat squad. And Ulrich Kellner joins me now. Welcome to Code 3. Hello, Scott. Thank you for having me. It's good to have you here. You originally wrote to me about the Euro helmet debate. I think a lot of U.S. firefighters assumed that you were using the new helmets already. Tell me what the feelings are among German firefighters about the newer style of helmets. The so-called Euro helmet is a pretty new invention here too. Some departments, actually most uh, carrier departments, uh, have used it longer at times. But uh, in the volunteer department, use these on a department-to-department base. Some have changed early, others changed uh, lately, uh, in the last year, actually, when new uh, safety regulations were issued and the older traditional German helmet, same uh, as in the US, uh, not the same helmet, but the same tradition uh, was uh, not allowed anymore, especially for interior attacks. And so the original traditional helmet, I understand, was similar to a soldier's helmet. The outer body, yes. Uh, the shape of the helmet derives from a long time. It was introduced in the First World War. It's a pretty infamous uh, design and well-known. And during the Second World War, it was also a standard helmet, um, also in the fire department. And after the war, it was used again many years. Only changed uh, the color from black to yellow, luminescent. And after that, um, the uh, material changed from steel to aluminum, which made it lighter and better to uh, wear. But the uh, overall shape stayed for many decades 
until I don't know the exact year, maybe 10, 15, maybe 20 years ago, I don't know exactly. Some uh, new helmets came on the market and were introduced to some departments. As I said before, carrier departments went first because of the better funding and uh, some followed, but not everybody. And when the new safety regulations were introduced, everybody had to follow. And now every department has to make a new strategy uh, for their personal protection gear, especially the helmets. Sounds to me as though the desire to hang on to the old helmets is essentially the same here and in Germany, which is to say they're traditional and they're iconic, but there's some recognition that they might not be as safe, yet people still want to wear them. Was that your situation over there? Kind of. Because of... uh, the design has uh, its flaws. Its flaws as a fire helmet. Many soldier helmets were introduced as fire helmets. I mean, French soldier's helmet was uh, the orig- original uh, fire helmet of the Paris firefighters, and this tradition went on. But they were designed as soldier's helmet and not uh, especially for firefighting. But the design had its advantages. But the uh, progress in the later years, the last 20 years, has had such an advance in uh, personal protection gear that this wasn't uh, state-of-the-art anymore and had to change. The biggest flaws, so uh, they are out of aluminum, and so uh, they can lead electricity, and that makes them a bit unsafe in some environments, especially inside a working house fire where uh, electricity lines uh, hanging down, etc., and uh, the other flaw is metal, molten metal would uh, melt down through these helmets uh, very fast. And uh, if someone, something drops onto your head, maybe uh, like maybe you heard of the uh, fire in Paris from Notre Dame, where liquid lead dropped uh, down to, onto the firefighters, this would be uh, good uh, with a metal helmet. So... In addition to this, uh, there are some uh, holes for ventilation on the sides, depending on the original design, and this was not more suitable for interior attacks. You can't send firefighters inside with such a helmet anymore. And so other ways were needed, and the uh, plastic (laughs) helmets had a better shape, uh, they had better and where, uh, would last longer in such environments and uh, would uh, have a better protection for that. It sounds as if you've come to accept the advantages of the new helmets over the old ones. Is that true? Yes, pretty much. Uh, it's, we had to, to wear several models of new helmets. Every, every time we had to uh, look at the costs, okay, but uh, we had uh, to choose in a uh, some frame and we could wear them for testing and they fit on the head very much better. You can't argue about that. They are much heavier and this is a downside uh, many uh, members of the fire service don't like, especially older members who are used to the uh, old helmet uh, for a long time. The light aluminum helmet they don't like the heavy new helmet, and if the uh, incident, uh, the situation lasts very long, you know that you have something on your head. The aluminum helmet wasn't all there any at all. <laughs> at least you didn't feel like it. And firefighters, as 
soldiers, as, uh, many other kinds of uh, people. Traditionalists, uh, they uh, like what works and usually they never change a running system. And they got used to this helmet. And the younger guys know these uh, new advantages, likes it, they are cool. But um, um, the helmet you got issued when you joined the fire department was your helmet. You kept it your whole career. The inner helmet was changed, of course, but the outer hull, the aluminum frame, was always there. It got scratched, it got dirty, but you wear the suit pride and go inside again with this very helmet. With some people, I myself, I do so as well, we miss it a bit, but we know there are advantages on the new helmets. and Yeah, you have to go with the time. Well, that sounds like that's about the same as it is here in the U.S. And let me change subjects now to something else that's that's similar. Here in the U.S., about 70% of firefighters are volunteers, which seems like a large number. But in Germany, the number is more like 97%. Is that accurate? Approximately, yes. About uh, something over 30,000 firefighters are carrier firefighters. That's because only cities with more than 100,000 inhabitants, that's much for Germany, have to have a carrier fire department. Also, in addition to these carrier fire departments, volunteer fire departments are in these cities too. So over 990,000, I guess this was the last number I looked up, firefighters are volunteers in Germany. In addition to that, you have you have uh, some paid firefighters uh, at uh, chemical plants or other factories who have their own fire department, of course. Right. Those are privately owned or owned by a company. So that, that number is remarkable, and it's even more than remarkable because here in the U.S., we're having a hard time recruiting people to be volunteers. How easy or hard is it for you guys to recruit volunteers? I guess we were spoiled over the years. We have about 80 million inhabitants and uh, 1 million uh, are firefighters, actually. That's a great number on paper. These uh, carried over the years and the fire department was one on one side some official organization who helps the people. But on the other hand, in most uh, communities, it has a social impact too. People met there, people gathered there, and this was part of the everyday life. But as I said before, in the last decades, the fire service had uh, to get more professional in every kind of way. And the tactics, the standardization procedures, the technical issues, everything was what uh, or became more complicated and communities and people changed a bit. Being an unpaid servant of the community isn't as popular anymore as it was in the earlier days. So we still have a hard time. And in our district, to, without any numbers, in our district we lose uh, the uh, amount of people of one fire department uh, every year. Wow. So um, that's a, it's a hard uh, time to get uh, new firefighters interested in the service. And the good side uh, where we can recruit most people is uh, because we have youth organizations. Almost every volunteer fire department has a youth organization where you can join at the age of 10. 
And that sounds a bit uh, strange, uh, of course. It sounds like a good way to get them interested young and help bring them up within the culture. Yes, indeed it is. Well, when you joined uh, at the age of 10, I did myself, you have this organization and it's mirror of the uh, active duty firefighter organization, but in other kind. You learn some procedures, you learn the tech talk, you learn some how to put a line, how to uh, work with a nozzle, something like that. The, we prepare you for the basic training, playful, in a playful manner. And there are lots of other activities like the Boy Scouts or something like that. It's a mixture of this and it is uh, intended to get the people interested and keep them on there. And nowadays, in addition to that, because it uh, doesn't fill our ranks uh, <laughs> anymore, it's a matter we need it, uh, we have a children's fire department as well. <laughs> so you can join at the age of six. Oh, and, wow. uh, this, is, this is only uh, dedicated to play things. It's like kindergarten type. It's just to give them the idea that a fire department is fun or important or both. Yes, indeed. It's a kindergarten playground uh, with activities branded as fire departments. It's our, co our corporate brand we issue to the people. Well, you know, those are probably some ideas that we could work on adopting here because we've got some of the same problems recruiting people nowadays also. Why don't you give me an idea of the, the size of your department and the size of the service area that you have? Our department consists uh, actually of 10 departments. We have the department of the city of Sesen, and this is divided into uh, 10 mostly independent departments. In the uh, inner city, there's the biggest department, the department I serve in. We have about 100 active firefighters. In addition to that, our retired firefighters are still on our roll, and we have an honor division where they meet uh, once a month and have a chat and have a good time and uh, still are part of uh, our department. They wear their uniform and uh, are honored in for their service. And as I told you, the both youth organizations, they're called Jugendfeuerwehr, and uh, the children's fire department is Kinderfeuerwehr, where these kids uh, can learn about fire department stuff. But active duty firefighters, 100, and the smaller villages around the city have everybody, every village has their own fire department, and uh, the numbers varied from 10 to 90 uh, firefighters. Now, if you get a call for a structure fire, what is, and I'm not sure what the phrases you would use, but ours would be a first alarm. What would the number of people first dispatched to the scene be? If it's a structure fire, it has a, a higher alarm category. So there would be in the inner city uh, dispatched, well, I use military terms because uh, these uh, are better to understand for me. One or two platoons it consist, uh, your, as I understand it, in the US, uh, the size of a single apparatus is a company. And our platoons consist of two or more companies. Yes, in the department of season, we have two platoons. One consisting of two companies and the other of three. We have 10 vehicles. Three are fire trucks, engines, as we call it, 
two are pumpers and one uh, has two uh, deployable pumps. To a working structure fire, we would field everything we have. And at every given time, we can field about 35 uh, personnel. 75? Uh, no, and 35. I'm sorry, 30, 30, 35. So you're saying approximately 35. How many individuals are riding on one engine or one apparatus? On our our initial squad size, squad in military terms, the company size, would be nine firefighters. All right, I'm now I'm having a little trouble converting this to U.S. terms, so let me explain what we have and we'll see how it converts. Here, a typical pumper or engine might have four men on board. One would be the captain that would be in charge of those four men, or, well, three men below him. That would be a company officer because it would be an engine company. So it'd be about four people. How many is your smallest unit there? Well, our smallest unit, independent unit, uh, consists of seven people. One officer and one engineer and the rest is personnel, six personnel. And, you know, forgive me for sounding repetitive, but you're able to get all those spots filled in when there's an alarm? Not every time. As I said, every given time we could field about uh, 35 people. We have uh, the first two uh, trucks, as I call it. Uh, have uh, One has nine people on board. Uh, the other has eight. We can fill that, of course. The ladder has three people on board. We can fill that too. Uh, the command vehicle has uh, two or three. The incident commander plus some radio controller. Uh, the others uh, will see what's left. <laughs> well, that's still very impressive. Out of our 10 vehicles, we have different approaches for different alarms. If there's a vehicle accident, we field other units as uh, when it's a structure fire. Usually it's very big, we field everything we have. But uh, if it's a minor fire in a flat or something like that, we would field uh, a platoon consisting of the ladder, two trucks, the command vehicle, and usually that's it. And that sounds familiar to me also. Do your firefighters have any emergency medical training, and if so, how much? Not much, indeed. The medical training is on the uh, first aid level, CPR, uh, stuff like that. But uh, the uh, advanced medical training uh, and med emergency medical service is done by uh, paid uh, EMS, EMTs, paramedics. As you call it, there's a transition and stuff at the moment. But this is owned by the district at the moment. And the uh, ambulances were dispatched to our incidents, to our situations, to our calls, uh, but uh, manned with paid personnel, usually. But there are private organizations that are unpaid, like the Deutsche Rote Kreuz, Red Cross, who works as we do, unpaid and voluntarily. And what is your fire response time like? How, I mean, on average, how do you do? It depends. It depends on the time and it depends uh, how many people are available and are at work. Usually <laughs> we field the first engine in, uh, in about five minutes. We have to... Uh, Feels it uh, in nine minutes. That's really very good, and it's very comparable to a lot of our departments here. So I've got to ask you, what is the biggest problem that German firefighters deal with that gives them the most complaints about their job over there? Well, <laughs> I can answer this very strongly. Uh, time. 
I guess uh, our biggest hazards are not the fire, not water, not anything else what may occur. Uh, the biggest hazard in our uh, duty or our service is uh, time, uh, the lack of time for training. As I said before, uh, the degree of professional uh, working requirements have increased this much that we don't get our personal as trained as we wish. You have to train for every given situation. Our department, uh, there are no career firefighters here. We are the only ones <laughs> and we have to train uh, for every situa situation from hazardous material incidents to structural fires, car crashes, whatever occurs. We have to deal with the situation. This has very high requirements for our personnel. And because of our organization structure and the uh, availability of the personnel, many firefighters have to train for uh, different positions. They are caught uh, in the attack team going inside on the one day. And on the other day, uh, they work uh, lying fire hoses uh, over long distance. We have a hose layer truck and uh, if you are on a village uh, we have to maybe uh, get a kilometer of hose line uh, deployed and people have to do that too. If they have to get on the ladder and have to work in a high environment they have to know their uh, fall protection gear as well as chemical suits. Uh, the whole issues that come with traffic accident and the specialized equipment for that one firefighter from my hazmat company uh, told me uh, he can't. Uh, he want to, wants to leave hazmat because uh, he can't go to all the trainings anymore. Uh, it's too often on a weekend, and he has to uh, and he wants to uh, take some time for his family. And I had to talk to him and uh, say, uh, "No, please stay. Uh, look how many you can." Uh, get to and uh, we are work working it out. Uh, to a certain degree this is possible but somewhere there's a tipping point where we can't go on and on and do much more training anymore uh, and uh, this is uh, certainly uh, in the near future. Well that sounds very much like some problems that we have in the U.S. with volunteers finding time to train so we're very familiar with that. And we'll call it an end right here. It was great to talk to you, Ulrich Kellner. Thanks for being with me on Code 3 today. Thank you. It was, it was an honor to talk to you. I'm a big fan of your show, and uh, keep up the good work. And we put some more information about firefighting in Germany on our website at Code3Podcast.com slash Germany. Check it out. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. This time we talked about the differences and similarities of firefighting in Europe and the U.S. I'd like to hear your stories about this, especially if you're listening from outside the U.S. Just email me, scott at code3podcast.com, or you can leave a voicemail at 562-337-9902. I will read and play back your comments on a future show. Hey, thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more, and I hope you'll be here. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, stay safe. Code 3 is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To contact us, get more information on today's topic, or subscribe to the podcast, go to Code3Podcast.com.